Welcome to the Inquisitive Tourist. My name is Nate Ralph and thank you for joining me. For those of you who've already been listening to the show, I'd love to welcome you back. And to those of you who have just started, I'd like to welcome you to the ever-growing community of listeners. We're now in 33 countries and counting. Now, we all love hearing travel stories where we can listen and learn from others who have been to somewhere we want to visit. Well, let me ask you, is Cuba on your bucket list? I know myself that near enough everyone I've spoken to has either already been there or definitely wants to visit. Well, my guest today not only visited Cuba, but she says that she had a life-changing visit there and she's keen to give her perspective on events from her trip. Her name is Melissa Mendoza from San Francisco, USA. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hello, Nate. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here and relive my journey through Cuba. So greetings to all your listeners. Thanks a lot, Melissa, for coming on. I'm really excited for this opportunity to to have this conversation with you. So, Melissa, as some of uh, the guests may already have uh, guessed from your name, you're of Hispanic descent, obviously, with a surname Mendoza. So where exactly does your family come from? Yes, I am Hispanic. My family is from Mexico, specifically in Ensenada, Baja California, which is um, an hour and a half from the Tijuana border. Awesome. And does that go back? How how many generations or is that just yourself and your parents? Several, as far as I know. Um, I do have to do the ancestry where I am able to find out how far I go. But from Ensenada is is all I got right now. Awesome. So, uh, of course, you yourself, you were born and raised in in which part of California? Has it always been San Francisco or... So I was born and raised in Northern California, which is one hour south of San Francisco. Okay. But I recently moved. Yeah. So I live in Napa Valley at the moment. Oh, what a beautiful part of the, of the world. Why, why the, the relocation? So I moved to Napa because I am in nursing school. And so it was a lot closer for me. And I just wanted a fresh start. I wanted to move around and see new faces, meet new people. So I'm very excited to be here. That's that's brilliant. So do you feel that that's going to be your base for like the foreseeable future now? Oh, definitely. I want to buy my home here. I want to live here. It's gorgeous. You should come visit. Yeah. And you're a big wine fan because that sort of goes hand in yes. hand, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, definitely. I wasn't when I moved, but yeah. I could officially say that I am now. Yeah. So everyone officially gets converted. How long did it take you to get converted to a wine lover? Um, Not too long, actually. <laughs> right. Um. Just, you know, going wine tasting with friends, I was able to acquire, you know, the the taste for the wine in uh, maybe about a month or so. Lovely. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to, uh, to hitting it up myself as well, because I've got so many friends that have passed through the area. And I think every single one has just come back with great reports about it. So it's, it's amazing that you're actually based there now. Very, very lucky. Now, oh, definitely. Yeah. Now, getting back to the sort of the actual topic of, of what I want to talk to you about today, you had a visit to Cuba. So when was it? And did you go alone? So no, this time I did not go alone. Um, I went in May of 2017 and I took two of my female co-workers with me. Fantastic. And was it their sort of first time in Cuba as well? Or had they had they already been before? No, it was definitely a new experience for all of us. Fantastic. And before you went, do you feel that, you know, you had the same kind of aspiration um, as to what you wanted to get out of the trip? Had you discussed that together? Um, No, I think when we got our visa, we went for just educational purposes. We wanted to kind of go with an open mind, uh, learn as much as we could, extract good experiences um, but we did not have any expectations. We wanted to be surprised rather than disappointed. So we tried not to expect too much out of it, except for just to to learn new things from the culture. Mm, surprised and not disappointed. I really like the way that you know you explain that. Um, and again, for all the people listening, a lot of them are by definition travel lovers and culture lovers. Yes. And I, I just think it's so important to go with that mindset. You know, not to have sort of preconceived ideas as to what this trip must be about like you said you, you were going for educational purposes and to be surprised so almost like whatever happens happens right exactly and when you adapt that mindset um everything that comes your way just makes you happy you know because you're not expecting 
a lot from it. And so it just, it's a better experience to me, it seems like. Yeah, no, I mean, a, a simple example of that, I guess, would be, you know, you hit a restaurant that you might not have read about or heard about or read a, a review on TripAdvisor about, and you've got no preconceived ideas. You're just hungry. You need to eat. And it ends up being like, flipping heck, this is amazing. It blows your mind and your your palate explodes with all these flavors. And you're like, damn, you know, and it just makes it that little bit better, doesn't it? Because you weren't uh, expecting that experience. No, exactly. That's why people usually say that when they don't plan things, they come out better than when they actually do plan them. And it, it goes, it all goes back to that. Yeah, no, that is absolutely awesome. Really, really succinct way of, um, of explaining that mindset as well. And I, I really do think that that is fundamental um, to what, again, what this podcast is about. And for many people listening who are thinking about maybe doing their next trip, I, I would encourage you to to adopt a, you know, that mindset that, that Melissa is speaking about here. So, so Melissa, getting back to Cuba again. So, with the people there, I heard they're extremely friendly, like really, really friendly and welcoming of, of travelers. So was that your experience and the experience of, of your two girlfriends as well that went with you? Oh, definitely. Friendly is an understatement. They are very kind, very generous. And what I loved most is that they have so little, but they will offer everything that they have to you. So it almost humbles you to see the, the way that they live and the way they treat you. Um, and they were very nice to tourists. You know, they want to show you around. They want you to learn about their their culture. Mm, that's that's so nice. The way that you said, um, even though they don't have a lot, they they give you everything that they do have. Um, and, and that is just so, I don't know if you would agree or not, that that is just often a, can I say a, a different experience to the one that maybe you're familiar with and I'm familiar with, you know, being from sort of the UK, you're from uh, the West Coast US. It's it's quite rare to have those sort of experiences with people in general. I don't know if that's something that you would you would agree with necessarily. I would definitely. It, it's very refreshing to go to a place and see that they lack the resources, but then they're still willing to to provide and to help you um if you're ever in need it is it is very comforting and and like when they were being friendly with you girls like you didn't sort of feel that it was for any ulterior motive um i know that's always in the back of um your mind as a traveler you know you always think oh they just assume that you have more money than them so mm. they are very friendly to see if they can get something from you or out of you um but it just seems so genuine and so sincere that I believed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, it seemed really kind. They're very kind and friendly. Um, we never felt threatened or uncomfortable in any moment. Okay. And your two girlfriends that went with you, were they Spanish speakers as well? Or was that just yourself? Um, no, one of them was African from Uganda and the other one was also actually Hispanic. Yes, she spoke Spanish. So it was both of us and then our other friend who didn't. Okay. That's interesting. And as as a threesome, you know, traveling out there together, again, all women, did you, I mean, you mentioned the safety, but there were no points of the trip when you felt a little bit on edge? Um, I wouldn't say so. You know, I think that the, it was just very, they were very open and very receptive to us. Um, I was never intimidated by anyone there or felt uncomfortable. You know, the men, they like to catcall here and there, but you just ignore and you're on your way. So yeah, you don't pay much attention to that. Yeah, no, that's, that, I think that just comes part and parcel with a lot of uh, Latin America. And do you know, what? I'm not going to pick on Latin America. I think that's, that's almost worldwide. Um, you know, the, the catcalling, if, if you go to the, the, the wrong places um that's, <laughs> yes. or, or the right places depending on which way you look at it but you know that's 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 bound to happen um that's bound to happen anywhere yes exactly especially when there's three of you as well um it's you know you're going to call some attention but one other thing i wanted to get to 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 speak to you about as well is the um it's something that i don't necessarily know too much about but i've i've kind of heard enough about it to know that it's something i should talk about on a podcast like this so the political system of cuba what what's going on there? Because, you know, again, I've read not too much, but the, the things I have read are quite intriguing. So 
you know, apparently operates quite differently. Maybe that's an understatement to many other places that we're familiar with. So could you fill us in in any way that you can about that, uh, Melissa? Yes. Um, so Cuba is one out of five of the remaining communist countries in the world. So they have a very complex political system. Uh, and Cuba has been a communist country since 1959, as far as I know, when Fidel Castro came into power. And he was president for approximately 49 years. OK, that's quite a bit of uh, <laughs> I feel like getting Wikipedia right now just to sort of uh, fill myself <laughs> in because I'm not really sure. Um, what else to ask on that? I mean, obviously, Fidel Castro, I think most people know that name. It's synonymous with with Cuba and so on. But oh, yeah, it's effects today. I mean, when when you went there, are you kind of in a, in a you know, from day to day experiences that you were having, even as a traveler, by the way? And I'm asking you this as a traveler, not necessarily as, as someone who's who's living there. I don't know if you got to speak to them about it yourself. But, you know, do you feel that the effects are quite evident to this day? I believe so. Yes. And I talked to the. Cuban people. And from what I gathered is that the, you know, the country's economy, you know, the Cuban people have their salaries basically controlled um, in exchange for free health care, transportation, housing. So they depend a lot in the government as far as basic needs go. And um, so I could definitely see that there's a lot of restrictions there due to the government and the political system. So the people that, you know, the local people that you were speaking to about this situation, did they kind of express a bit of annoyance toward the government, even though they do get the free healthcare? Like, were they basically making it quite evident in, in their speech that they were against the way that they were being treated? You know, it, it's interesting that you say that because I had mixed feelings and mixed responses from different people. Some people really loved Fidel Castro and they almost idolized him. Mm. Other people were very angry mm. uh, because of their limitations and their lack of freedom and resources. Um, so it was just, I interviewed different people and they all had different responses to how they felt about the situation. So there's mixed feelings involved there. And that's interesting. I don't know if you tabulated it, um, but maybe you did, you know, mentally speaking at least, but do you feel that there was any correlation between the responses that you were getting and perhaps um, the, you know, any particular socio-demographic of those people that you were speaking to? You know, maybe it was from the city that they lived in. Like, you know, people from this city, yeah, they love Fidel, but people from that city, they they hate him. Or, you know, people of this age group. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, did you feel that there was any pattern emerging there? That's a good question. Um, I didn't really see a pattern much. I think just overall, um, different people had different experiences. And I just feel like maybe some people are afraid to speak, you know, because they were, a lot of people in Cuba don't have a voice. You know, they don't have the freedom of speech that we do. So I feel like a lot of them are afraid to say something negative towards the, uh, towards politics in general. Um, because they fear that they might be, I don't know, prosecuted in a way or, you know, they're just, they try to play it safe and they, they're careful with what they say and who they talk to. It's interesting that you picked that up, you know, even as a traveler there for, how long did you say that you went there for again? I was there for a week. Okay. So it's interesting that in that week, you obviously you really got full in and it was enough for you to to literally have a life-changing experience which again goes to show what a, what an amazing place cuba must be um and I, I fully believe that myself i've had experiences where i might have only been in and out of somewhere in a week maybe two or three weeks at most and i just feel that that trip has marked me you know i will and i'm talking about that trip 10 years later um <laughs> and obviously that's something that cuba's done for you and that's um maybe some of the 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 background of of cuba you know, be it the political system or, you know, the the conversations that you were having with the locals have obviously uh, contributed to that. So that's something that I would definitely need to learn more about. Um, I the, the the things I do know about Cuba are is one thing, but the yeah, the, the, the political side of things, I don't know too much. So for sure, if I go, I will definitely learn from what you're telling me here and I'll probably try to, to have my own conversations with people and try and, you know, gauge you know, the way that they're feeling about the, the, the way that their government is, is treating them uh, and, and operating in their country. 
Definitely. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's like now. I know Fidel Castro died in 2016. I'm sure things have changed. I haven't kept up with with that. Um, But based on my experience and when I went in 2017, that's what I had gathered. Um, Things change, you know, over time. Of course, of course. And that's that's hoping. What what were you going to say? Sorry, I, I spoke over you there. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying that I'm hoping it it's gotten better. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know things do change, like you said. So it's it's not good to freeze people or or a country in time because uh, things often do get better, um, especially after a, a past that that Cuba sounds you know like it's like it's had. Now you mentioned a few minutes ago that you um, are in the the nursing industry, um, so you obviously know quite a lot about healthcare in in various places so again your perspective as a traveler in cuba what was your what was your sort of um response to what you could see i mean you already mentioned that uh, the locals are controlled or their salaries are controlled by by the government in response to the things that they get so you know okay maybe they get certain free healthcare and so on but what's your opinion on it obviously you can compare it to the one that you're you know native to to yourself in in California obviously there's going to be a huge sort of difference there but as as a nurse as someone in the profession what's your general opinion about it you know because some have reported an extreme lack of of resources is that is that true yes so definitely there is a lot of lack of resources and cuba's healthcare is actually free it is free from the simplest checkup that you get to the most complex surgical procedure. It is all free and paid for by the government. Um, However, as far as how reliable it is, I'm not sure due to such a big issue that Cuba currently has, which is their crumbling infrastructure. A lot of the clinics and hospitals in that area uh, need a lot of repair. Mm. So even though they want to, give the free healthcare, the actual buildings or the facilities that they've got are not having enough money channeled into it to actually, you know, provide those services then anyway, by the sounds of it. That's right. That's right. And another thing that's a big issue is the trade embargo, as you may know, um, that Cuba has with the United States. So it has had detrimental effects because now the people in Cuba have to wait for the medical procedures. Mm. So these sort of um, healthcare procedures that are on offer, you said they're free. Is that for anyone in Cuba who, you know, even some an unemployed person? Yes, as far as I know, yes. Um, as long as you're a Cuban citizen, you have access to that. Okay. And again, probably depending, I would imagine that depending on the part of, con- of the country that you find yourselves in, you might have quicker or slower uh, response to, you know, to, to your need. Oh, definitely. Because if you're not getting supplies from the United States imported to Cuba, then you have to, they have to order equipment from other countries as far as China. Mm. And so this definitely affects the patient because they have to wait for their procedures in, um, you know, they don't have the right equipment. So then it affects the outcome of the, of the individual. So are they like reusing a lot of equipment that they really shouldn't be? You know, equipment that should be perhaps disposable. Right. Yeah. Um, I was watching a documentary on that and they were reusing gloves. They lacked resources as far as medication. Um, So I could see how it can greatly affect the health of the Cuban people. So, I mean, there's free health care, but it comes with a cost as far as not having good quality care. And obviously, as a native to California, I don't know if I could ask you, but is that something that would literally never happen in, you know, a San Francisco or just general uh, California hospital? You know, the reusing of things that, that shouldn't be done? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that we have um, higher standards of care and um, I'm very proud of that. They, you know, have an infection control specialist that walks around making sure that we're not cross-contaminating. And so it's it's very monitored, um, very controlled. The only thing with the COVID outbreak was that, you know, there was a time where people were u- reusing their masks, but it didn't last very long. And so I feel like we do have um, better health care. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good to know. Now, which um getting back again to your you know, 
your your Cuba visit, which cities did you actually go to? Because you said you were there for a week with your two friends. So which ma- major sort of parts of Cuba were you? Yeah, so we were there for a week and we split our trip into two places. We weren't hopping around to too many different locations. Mm. We did Havana, or as they call it, La Habana. <laughs> uh, we were there for the first three to four days. And um, as you may know, Havana is the capital of Cuba. Yes. And it is extremely lively. There is many restaurants, delicious food. There's always music playing in the background. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed that part. There is this um, this area where it's like a strip. It's called El Malecon, mm-hmm. which is like a roadway or a seawall that stretches about five miles off the coast. And um, that's very beautiful to walk by at night. You could sit there and just look at the ocean, watch the sunset. Um, and of course, there's a lot of music I love salsa music in general, so I love to dance. <laughs> I would go out and dance with the locals. They yes. taught me a couple steps. Um, for those that are traveling or those that are listening, if you go to Cuba, you can actually hire uh, people to teach you how to dance. They'll teach you the basic uh, salsa steps. Wow! So it, it was very, very nice for me to do that. Yeah, we hired someone to teach us, and uh, we learned a couple of their steps. Because as far as salsa goes, they dance in a circular motion. Uh, So it's a little different from how you would dance it out here. Yeah. And um, we were able to learn and dance. And um, it seems like music and dance is in their blood because even toddlers, small children, they were just moving their hips and dancing to the beat. So it it was a good experience. Yeah. So and no, go for it. Sorry. Yeah. The second place we went to was Varadero, which is this narrow peninsula known as a popular beach town resort. And that's two hours east from Havana. And that's more of a relaxing area. So we went there to unwind, relax. And it's so beautiful. It's what you would think of paradise. It's turquoise, blue water. Mm. The sand is white and powder-like. It is amazing. Sounds absolutely adorable i've got to be honest the, the the way that you explain that as well there's so, so much that you just said there and my brain is just like all these lights are going on of things that i want to ask you um so first off you were talking about havana so you can literally with, with you know you said that you can hire a dancer um a dance not a dancer <laughs> well you probably can but a, a dance instructor is that literally you just rock up on the night and say hey like i'm looking someone uh, for someone to teach me or you have to pre-book this somehow um, I don't recall how we did it. it. One of the girls I was with, she's the one that booked it. I think it was very casual. We were not planning to do that there. I think it was spontaneous. We were getting a ride from one of the tax- local taxis there. And we asked them, hey, we want to learn how to dance salsa. And can you, do you know anyone that can teach us? And he gave us a business card of a man who was teaching lessons. And so we had three people come to our Airbnb and one for each of us. And uh, they taught us and we, we learned a couple of steps and it, it felt nice because when we went out to dance, we knew what we were doing. And was it like relatively inexpensive to, to get taught? Do you remember at all? Oh, very. I don't remember how much it was, but it was very inexpensive. I highly recommend it. Now you mentioned as well um, the delicious food. So, like, do you remember sort of anything in particular that was outstanding? Like, hey, this this dish I had that night was just peng. You know, like, do you, is there anything that you remember that you'd like to speak to the guests about? Oh, of course. I mean, if you go to Cuba, you have to try their ropa vieja, and that translates um, to old clothes. And I know you're probably thinking that doesn't sound very appealing, but it actually is. (laughs) (laughs) No one likes old clothes, but this ropa vieja was delicious. And it is their signature dish in Cuba. They're very proud of it. It is uh, slow cooked beef with onions, bell peppers, olives, and then you get a side of black beans and rice. And it's Mm. very delicious. So is it done in like a stew, like in a single pot or is it done, you know, separated out? Uh, yeah, it's more of a stew. Okay. So they slow cook it with the vegetables. Yeah, it's really good. And was that the favorite dish of your two friends as well? Or did they have like different preferences? Um, I They had different things that they ordered, but when they tried mine, they 
loved it. And so next time around, when we went to a different restaurant, they got the same thing. <laughs> Is it yeah. one of those and things of course, where, you know, the rest of the trip, you were just having the same thing because you'd had it once yes. and you just loved it. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can't forget the mojitos. Those, uh, those rum drinks, they're to die for. I think I was holding one in every picture. <laughs> They're very good. I'll have to ask you for a picture after this podcast because I don't think I've actually seen any yet from your trip. So uh, that, <laughs> just to just to double make sure that what you're, what you're saying is uh, is true. Maybe, maybe you had what twenty or thirty mojitos in in that week. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, they're very delicious. I recommend them. Yeah. Now that other place you were speaking of, the the name has already gone. Uh, could you remind me how it's uh, spelt? The what is it? The dish? No, the the other place that you went to. So not we we've spoken about Havana, but the the place with the turquoise waters and and so on. Oh, Varadero. I believe it's V A R A D E R O. Yes, yes Varadero. I, I have heard of it. It's because your your accent is so authentic. My uh, my my oh, English brain can't um can't decipher <laughs> or didn't decipher immediately. But yeah, no, of course, Varadero. Okay, no, I have I have read about that place. So again, what, go, yeah. what, what was the, you said it was a chilled out vibe. Is, is that why you went there just to sort of like live it up in Havana and then thought, right, now we're going to go to Varadero and just chill for the rest of the trip. What, what was your aim to go there? That's right. Yeah. It was more of a relaxing experience. We wanted to balance it out. We wanted to do very lively, um, cultural rich experiences. And we also wanted to just get away and unwind a little bit, get a nice tan, relax, you know, and, um, we did, we went there, we laid on the beach and they had like a little shack where they bring you like a fancy big lobster and mm. they give you drinks and it's, it was very nice. Damn. Sounds amazing. <laughs> sounds so, yeah. so, so good. So was that like, was your part of the trip in Varadero essentially just on the beach most of the time, or were you still doing a bit of, you know, explorations and walking into little neighborhoods here and there? There's a very small town, yeah, but it was mainly just to go lay on the beach. Okay. Well, I, I, I appreciate that honesty, and hey, there's nothing wrong with doing that from time to time, hey? Because it's, uh, it's yeah. part of every good trip. In terms of accommodation as well, what was that like? I'm quite intrigued to know your response to this. Accommodation as far as where we stayed? Yeah, like what sort of, I mean, was it Airbnbs? Was it hotels? Was it, you know, what what was it like? Like what was the quality of it like as well? Yeah, we actually got an Airbnb and it was lovely. It was two story. There was like three bedrooms. So we all had our own bedroom and um, they have really cute balconies. It was, it was a really nice experience. Yeah. I really liked it. Very spacious and clean. And I feel like it's very cost effective. There is a few hotels in the area, but they're pretty pricey so if you're looking for something good and reasonable i recommend um going with an airbnb interesting stuff now in terms of again the infrastructure of cuba there's generally a a lack of sort of transportation isn't there i remember seeing a documentary on youtube i forget the channel now um but it it was quite interesting what the guy was showing and and they were just getting around on these sort of old beaten up buses i mean it almost (laughs) held a charm to it just in itself like I think they had no well uh, sort of air conditioning. Not think I know they had no air conditioning. They might they looked like eighty years old or something. Um, and you know oh, you're man. going around in that crazy heat in beating up buses, and it's yeah, it's got a charm to it. But at the same time, if you're living there, that could get you know, I don't know, <laughs> that could get a bit out of hand in in not too long. You know, you could get fed up of that. But in your experience, when you were there for your sort of trip. What, how did the lack of transportation affect you? Like, how were you actually getting around? Did you did you ever hitchhike? Because that's a big thing in Cuba right here as well. Yeah, as a traveler, I feel like there was the opposite of lack of transportation. There was a lot. I never felt like I had a hard time getting a ride. Um, there's a lot of, as you know, old school cars that are driving around. And many people offer transportation around the town. Um, the thing is in Cuba, you can't tell the difference between a regular car and a taxi right? because of the same thing that they all look the same. So, you know, you either hop into a 1952 Chevy Ford or sedan, or you go into a 58, uh, Chevy Impala. They're basically 
similar throughout Cuba. You know, they have like 50 coats of paint, but they do the job <laughs> and they're very beautiful to write in. Yes, yeah, so they're very nice. Yeah, the, I'm glad you actually spoke about the cars of Cuba because, uh, you know, I, I probably would have forgotten to, to ask you about that, but it's it's synonymous with Cuba, isn't it? Like, how could I forget? Every time you see a picture of Cuba, it's probably the beautiful <laughs> pink and yellow and turquoise cars, isn't it? Um, Gorgeous. Rocking, rocking mm-hmm. around the, the, the town. Did you get some good photographs as well in some of those cars? I'm sure you did. Oh, I sure did. Yeah, I was leaning against them, taking pictures of every car I saw. They were gorgeous. And you had a mojito, obviously, in one of your hands as well, right? Oh, of course. Yes. (laughs) Sure did. (laughs) Sure did. Now, again, what about transportation of data? So what do I mean by that? Internet access. Uh, Again, I've, I've seen that it's very, very limited. So how on earth does that work? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Well, you know, just imagine yourself, you're laying on your couch and you're very comfortable and you want to update your bio on your Instagram or you want to post a picture. Um, Well, you can't do that in Cuba. So if you really want to check your Instagram or your Facebook, uh, you have to leave your house, go to a local shop, purchase an internet card that is equivalent to one hour of internet access then you have to walk to a cafe or you have to walk to a local Wi-Fi park is what they call them. And then you could do your thing there, you know, but it sounds like it's a lot of work, right? A lot of work. I'm kind of shocked at that. Definitely. So, I mean, yeah, it's how, a lot of work. how did you plan? Because obviously if you're there on holiday, I'm just sort of like thinking about this for the moment. The last few trips I've done, kind of evolve as they go along so you know like i've got certain itineraries you know roughly speaking like okay obviously i'm flying in on this day i'm flying out on that day um but i personally don't like a, a sort of a very structured rigid day-by-day approach some trips of course have to be like that but generally speaking that's not my thing um and i just can't imagine being in a place where let's say I've got to think, right, what is it that I'm going to do now in the next few days or, or how am I going to get there? You know, you're, you're basically trying to plan as you go along. Now, if you've done it before from your base in US or England or wherever you live, that's one thing, right? You've got it all planned out. But to find yourself in a place like that where you've got no internet, isn't it really hard to plan things out? You know, you have to always leave your Airbnb just to rock down to buy this card to go to the Wi-Fi park. It's kind of an adventure. I, I feel like it would be cool to do it a few times, but to do that every time, like, oh, no, I've got to message this person who's going to be in that city waiting for me. Oh, no, I've got to go back to the Wi-Fi park. And then you go, you think you've done it all. You go back home and you forgot something else. You've got to go back again. Right. Yeah, that can get annoying pretty quickly. And that's the struggle there. You know, it, it's very challenging. But you know what? I was able to, as awful as it sounds, I was able to extract the positive and realize that in Cuba, because of that, um, there's so much more human interaction. There's so much more connections. Mm. People are outside, they're conversating, they're talking to each other. Mm. Everyone there is engaged. You know, people, the, for example, the kids, they're outside, they're playing baseball or soccer, you name it. And it's beautiful to see that Mm. as far as reflecting back on that experience, I was able to think of my life and where I come from and technology controls our lives, whether we admit it or not. It takes a lot of our time during the day when we could be doing other productive things. And so like the saying says, you want to disconnect to connect. That's deep. (laughs) That's very deep. Could you say that one more time? Disconnect to? Yeah. So you want to disconnect to connect. I love it. That's, that's, and it's a motto mm. we want to live by. Mm. It's it's a very simple expression, but it's it's actually like really deep, um, really really deep. Like it's almost like I'm eating a chili right now, and you think it's not that hot, and then it's cumulative. And as the the seconds roll into minutes, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And I feel <laughs> like the same is happening with that expression, disconnect to connect. That's that's a very simple but sort of profound statement. Um, and I, I love the way that you, you again, you, you went with the positive, not focusing on the negative or the irritations of how that lack of internet could, could affect you. But hey, you go outside, people are interacting, kids are playing, more human interaction and so on and so forth. Um, and do you know what, Melissa? I think 
most of us listening to this podcast, um, like I said, even in the in, in the intro, um, it's in 33 countries. Now, can't list them right now, but most <laughs> of these countries are, I would imagine, you know, have tons of internet access, essentially like a buffet of internet access. So for anyone listening to this podcast, I mean, come on, we, we're we into the podcast industry, right? It's like, I, I don't even know how many people in Cuba even know about podcasts. Um, who knows? Maybe it's uh, a smaller proportion than, than a Western country or, or somewhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. But there is an intrinsic uh, beauty in that as well, because maybe, how can I say this? I feel that a lot of the people listening to this podcast, even though, you know, here we are, we're internet people, we enjoy podcasts, we enjoy music, we enjoy other things that the internet can provide us. Maybe we all yearn for that sort of experience of the Cuban people and they're still having it now. Definitely. It was a good, even for me, it was such a good detox from technology to just get away from it a little bit. It was hard at first, you know, because you feel like you're missing something and you Mm. almost have withdrawals and you want to grab your phone and you want to, you know, check your social media. You want to call people and you can't. And once you get used to it towards the middle of my trip, towards the end of my trip, it was almost relaxing and it was less stress. And I was uh, realizing that I was having better conversations with people. And that is that is very important. And I think that it's it's definitely a good experience. So would you say that you got more in touch with yourself and even nature around you? Definitely, definitely, because the attention that my phone was taking from me, I was actually focused on my surroundings. I was, you know, doing that uh, meditation or like the um, mindfulness, practicing mindfulness where I'm looking at things. Oh, what do I see? What do I hear? Um, What are these people doing? I was, my subconscious was waking up and I was starting to be more attentive to things. And it's beautiful. Mm. Again, it comes back to the way that uh, earlier on in, in this podcast, you were saying about not having sort of a preconceived wish list, so to speak, and then you can't be disappointed and it's, it's full of surprises. And I suppose this is this is really um, uh, the, the epitome of what you were saying, because here is something that a lot of people would just hate and, and just focus on as a negative. But you've turned that into a positive and clearly, by the sounds of it, it's, it's actually one of the highlights of your visit. To, to Cuba, something that you might not, have, you know, have even expected from your visit there. But um, this detox is <laughs> is actually something that a lot of us probably yearn for, I think. And uh, maybe we could go to Cuba for that purpose almost. Definitely. Yeah, I, I re- recommend that. Getting to the architecture of Cuba, um, I've heard some of the buildings are literally falling apart. Is that true? crumbling (laughs) quite literally crumbling crumbling. yeah you know um i wouldn't say all of them because i don't want to give people the idea that everything is just falling apart on the ground i mean there's um certain areas that are more affected than others um you know like havana which is the capital there's more tourism there it's a little better kept um so i wouldn't say all of it but then again you know cuba as many people would say, it's frozen in time. Mm. So the cars are old, the buildings are old. And for us as travelers, um, we could definitely see the beauty in it. However, maybe the locals, they might disagree. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's one thing when you're just visiting. Um, I mean, we can all go to, I don't know, an antiques museum. It's one thing to visit there. But if if we had to mm-hmm. live with that stuff that we're looking at for more than a day, you know, maybe we'd have a different opinion of it as well, I guess. So that's a very fair point. But are there any sort of neighborhoods where, because again, you know, I don't want to paint the picture either that, you know, Cuba's, you know, I don't want to focus on on the fact that a lot of these buildings are getting old and so on, because the pictures I've seen look, you know, they leave me breathless, some of these pictures. Right. So are there any sort of districts where they are in very good repair? Um, there is. I can't name them off the top of my head. Um, I would have to get back to you on that. But I know that there are some areas um, where there's more tourism um, that are better kept. They're better looking. You know, um, they're not like repainted or remodeled. The painting is faded. It's off, but they still look really nice. Mm. 
versus other areas that are um you could see more of the poverty yeah no for sure getting back to the second half of your trip now that beach life you know the the chilled white sand powder sand that you were explaining in the turquoise waters how how are the beaches there and i know that you mentioned to me as well that you wanted to tell tell us about uh, a favorite experience that you had so could you tell us a little bit more about that yes so i had two really interesting experiences in varadero beach um the first one was about a young man who was actually a doctor and he was working as a lifeguard on the beach wow <laughs> that's interesting really interesting yeah <laughs> Yeah, I didn't believe him at first, but then he started to explain a little more about the life in Cuba, and then it all made sense to me. Um, he, you know, needed extra money, and obviously, as you know, um, for your education, you don't have to pay anything, but you also make practically nothing when you're done. And it seems like doctors in Cuba make less than $100 a month. $100 a month? Less than a hundred dollars a month, yeah. For a fully qualified medical doctor. That's right, yeah. Oh. And the government actually makes a lot of money by sending them off to different countries uh, to practice healthcare missions. And so, a lot of the local doctors are extremely overworked because many of their colleagues are sent out of the country. I'm kind of speechless at this. So, I mean, do you know, I'm not expecting you to know this sort of data off the top of your head, but I'll ask anyway. You would expect in most countries that a, a medical doctor is, you know, uh, in one of the top percentiles in terms of earning potential because, you know, what they do is very important and it requires seven years of study and, and the rest sometimes. So, a hundred. I mean, if a doctor's getting paid a hundred bucks in Cuba or less than per month, I mean, does that mean that the average salary is like half of that or something? I don't know if you you know that information. Yeah, I mean, I believe like I read the, in some articles that about 80 was the average a month. So it's just, um, it amazes me because like you said, they are the highest paying in many other countries. So to me in Cuba, I truly believe that becoming a doctor, it's not about the money, but about the need to help others. It's very inspiring. That's nice. Yeah, they're clear. I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't put yourself through seven or eight years of study and all that extra stress just to get an extra 20 bucks a month would you it's definitely it's definitely as you said it's, <laughs> it's the um it's the it's the love of the people although having said that 20 bucks per month per month according to those figures you gave me that's a 25 percent increase so but yeah I, I can't see that happening i think like you said it's probably for for the passion and for the love of helping their fellow man and fellow you know people in their country that they that they live with that's right definitely what was your other experience then so my other experience I had was that one of the young women that I was traveling with, um, she was actually getting a surprise engagement um, on one of the last days we were there. So her boyfriend was in contact with me because we were going to surprise her. And um, he actually flew from California all the way to Cuba the second to last day we were there. Hmm. Sounds beautiful. And and so what happened after that? So he... Um, came over, he proposed to her, and it was a very beautiful experience. And I had a giant Canon um, camera, and I was taking pictures of them because now they were engaged, and it was a very special occasion. Mm. So I noticed from a distance after I was done taking the pictures and I was looking through them that there was a, a man that was looking over at me, and he would stare, and he would look away, and he was with maybe six of his family members. And so he finally, he looked a little shy, but he built up the courage to come talk to me. Mm. And he said, hey, are you able to take a picture of my family and I? And I said, sure, but I wouldn't be able to give you a copy because I have no access to that here. Mm. And he says, oh, I don't want you to give me a copy. I just want you to keep it. Wow. So I look, I feel a little confused and... I said, really? He said, yeah. He said something that I'll never forget. He mentioned, well, my family and I will never be able to leave Cuba and we will die here. So if you take a picture of us and take it back to your country, it'll symbolize freedom 
that in a way our memory can be kept alive somewhere other than here. Wow. What an amazing story. That's, you know, it's very sad, but very beautiful at the same time. I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, I had no words. I was touched. My heart dropped. And I just remember that I started to tear up. And this man was just a stranger to me, but somehow I felt so close and connected. I gave him a hug and I just thanked them for the experience that I'll never forget them. And so I brought the picture back with me and I still talk about him to this day. Yeah. And now he's made it onto the podcast and <laughs> and now, and now stories, he's on the podcast. <laughs> and now his story is going out to currently 33 countries and, and counting. And I mean, his memory is living on whoever this man is, but uh, wow. I mean, I've had some very, you know, emotionally charged experiences when traveling too many to to even mention but this this is a very very um i think it's more beautiful than sad because again you know going by your theory it's 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 the way that you choose to look at something um but uh so was he there with i suppose his wife and kids is that what it seemed like you said six of them Yes. So it was him, his wife and his children. Mm. And so that's what made it a lot more touching. Um, It's one of those bittersweet moments. So I didn't know how to feel. Am I supposed to be sad? Am I supposed to be happy? I just, I, it was a mixture of emotions, Mm. but it just made me realize the privilege that I have, you know? And so I think this is exactly what he wanted. He wanted me to talk about him. He wanted his memory to be kept alive other than in Cuba because he knew he wouldn't be able to leave. And so I think that it's very nice that I get to talk about him and that the listeners can, can hear his experience through me. Yeah. It would have been so beautiful if like we knew his name and, you know, could somehow give him a a shower. It's just so ironic though, (laughs) because I was thinking, yeah, yeah, you could tag him on Instagram, but then you're like, oh yeah. No internet. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind about that. Or it's just funny because, like, if this, well, it probably wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world. That's the thing. But if it did, let's just run with this for a moment, right? Let's just run with this horse. Like, you'd get his WhatsApp, right? Or you know, you could get his Instagram, and then you could keep in contact, and then you could post it. You know, you could email him the photo. But again, all of these things rely on the internet, don't they? And it's it's such a paradox. It's like. The one thing that has made this story so beautiful or happen in the first place is is probably, like you said, partly because of their situation uh, in life, partly because they don't have internet access and so on and so forth. Or, that, or they, they can get it, but, you know, it costs money, right? And like you said, if you're married with four kids and who knows what he's earning, let's just, uh, let's just run with the idea that he's on 80 bucks a month or something. Um, even if he could go out and, and get an internet card and keep in contact with you, he probably couldn't afford that. I'm making some assumptions here, of course, but by the sounds of it, that's quite a possibility, isn't it? That's true because internet's so restricted that it's the, the card it, uh, that gives you access is for people that can afford it. You know, So that's another issue um, with that. And so that's what made it more special, like you said, because of the lack of internet connection and not being able to um, tell him that I'm talking about him or show him that, you know, his memories kept alive and that, um, because that's what he wanted, you know, um, he wanted some symbol, something to symbolize freedom because that's what he craved so badly for him and his family. Mm. I'm just like, my, my mind is running away with me. I'm just thinking when I get to Cuba, I feel like taking a recording of this podcast, this sounds absurd and hitting up, you know, (laughs) that beach and just who knows, like, you know, run with it, go and speak to the locals, say, Hey, you know, do do any of you know a man of this description, you know, four children, he's off at the beach. I mean, it's not impossible. (laughs) Like, you know, he once spoke to, to, to this lady called Melissa and she, you know, photograph and he was mentioned on this podcast and his story traveled, you know, his, his wish came true. Definitely. That's very true. And if I could pull up his picture, then um, definitely find him for me. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. If you had a picture as well, um, you could, let's be real, it sounds like a, a close-knit community. So if you asked enough people, laws of averages, one of them's going to know who he is and say, hey, right. dude, like your wish came true. 
actually sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not joking. I think when I go Cuba, I, I might actually try and do that. Uh, and, oh, and I it, would love that. And if I succeed, I'll, I'll have to have another podcast just about that because that would be a mind blowing, beautiful story. <laughs> that really would be. Beautiful. Oh, it would be definitely. Melissa, you you said as well that it taught you not to take for granted the freedom so many of us have. You you touched on that point. Could you expand on that? Yeah, I feel like a lot of us don't realize how privileged we are to have the liberty to buy a ticket, hop on a plane and go anywhere in the world we want to go to, you know, and and not just the freedom of traveling, but also the freedom to have a voice, to be able to work in a field that you're passionate about. You know, a lot of these people are very restricted and uh, it's those things that really uh, make me appreciate what I have. And I hope that many others can see that as well. Would you go back to Cuba? So that's a good question. Um, I usually don't like repeating trips, but Cuba is definitely one that I will go back to. It's on my list. So within the next few years, um, I want to go back when hopefully COVID is resolved or more under control because I don't want to be restricted when I go over there as far as what I can do and Mm. when I could do it. So Um, I do recommend it. You know, I do recommend people to go visit. And if I have any suggestions for the people listening, is that if you go to Cuba, go with an open mind, Mm. go with an open heart, uh, with a humble and non-judgmental attitude, because there is so much to learn. Beautiful. I think that's a really perfect sort of way to, to, to end this beautiful conversation as well. And I'd I'd love to have you back on to to maybe discuss other trips that that you've had. But Melissa, yeah, like I said it's been lovely to have you on. It's it's always a pleasure I feel to to speak to someone who's happy to speak so openly as you have done about their personal journals because you've gone through all sorts of experiences that many people just sort of bottle up and keep to themselves. So thank you for that. And I know you believe in personal growth through travel and uh you've educated so many people uh in the process as well. Well, thank you so much, Nate, for having me on. I had a great time talking about my experience in Cuba uh, with you and with the listener. So thank you all for listening. Well, my guest today was Melissa Mendoza, an avid traveler who firmly believes in personal growth through travel. She feels her trip to Cuba was life-changing and one that she will never forget for all those reasons that she mentioned. Hopefully today's episode has reinforced your desire to visit the beautiful island of Cuba. And if you've ever wanted to have a digital detox, I can't help but feel that it might be a great side benefit of going due to the difficulty of internet access in many parts of the country. Well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with a family member or friend who you think would get something out of it. And if you haven't already, please do consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and do give us a follow on Spotify as well as it really does help the show reach even more people. As always, thanks for tuning in. My name is Nate Ralph, and you've been listening to The Inquisitive Tourist.